At this time, we'll allow any of our children, uh, four years old through first grade, to go to Children's Church. If y'all head to the back, Miss Lauren is back there, and she will take your children to uh, Children's Church. They'll have opportunity to have a lesson that's more fitting for them. And if you that are staying in here would join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning as we turn our attention back to Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth as we looked last week. For those that were here or for those that need just a quick recap, last week we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We looked at what we often call the love chapter and we saw how all of our interactions with one another should be informed by our love for one another. That the way that we teach each other, that the way that we admonish one another, the way that we administrate, the way that we give, the way that we use all of our spiritual gifts to build up each other should be done out of love. Well, this week, I believe in chapter 8, what we see is a clear application of that. What does it look like Whenever my interactions with you, whenever my decisions that are informed by my love for God and my love for you, what's one way that, that my life might look different if I live that way? Well, we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So let me give you a little bit of background because Paul's going to talk about some things here that seem a little bit foreign or way foreign to us. But the Corinthians, these, this church... It's the best of our understanding that they had written Paul a letter and had asked him some questions. And a lot of what we see in 1 Corinthians is Paul answering their questions. And so it appears here that they specifically had asked Paul about whether or not they could eat meat if it had been sacrificed to an idol. Now, what are we talking about there? A lot of you are probably somewhat familiar with the Old Testament practice Right, God told the Jewish people that they would take rams and bulls and birds and different animals and offer them as a sacrifice to God. Right? We've seen that in the Old Testament. You've probably heard of that. Well, that wasn't something that only God's people did, that only the Jewish people did. Fake religions, right? cults and other groups that had idols that they believed in, they would do the same thing. They would sacrifice bulls and rams and lambs and all these animals to their false gods. Well, in Corinth, there were so many false gods that it was likely that the people living in Corinth, that some of the, the meat that they would eat came as meat that had originally been sacrificed to one of these idols. And so the people are asking, Paul, if, if they take this bull and they sacrifice it to Zeus or whatever false god, and then they're trying to sell the meat. Is it okay for us to eat that meat or not? So they're asking Paul this. And here in chapter 8, what we're going to see is Paul's answer. And let me just go ahead and ask you to stick with me. Because some of you are thinking, Brother Zach, I ain't ever had to deal with this before. I've never wondered whether I could eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. Never come up in Sunday school. Right, it's not a big deal for me. Some of you have already just decided that you're tuning out for the next 20 minutes to think about what you're going to have for lunch. Don't. Stick with me because there's a clear application about this for our lives. So look with me, the first three verses, Paul lays down a premise that connects directly to chapter 13 that we saw last week. He said, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge 
This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, why does he start off this way, right? He's answering their question. Now, now to your question about food offered to idols. And then he starts talking about knowledge. And we'll see through the rest of the letter. It appears that when they wrote to him, it's likely that what they said is, hey, since we know that idols aren't real, isn't it okay for us to eat this food? Because they would have really wanted to eat this meat. It would have made a lot more meat available to them. So they're probably appealing to be able to eat the meat because they know that, that idols aren't real. And so Paul starts out and says, well, hang on. The first thing you're telling me is that what you're doing or not doing is based on knowledge. And he says you have to be very careful with that. Because, and some of us can certainly identify with this. He says, being a knowledgeable person, feeling like you are a know-it-all, feeling like you are very smart, you know what that can do? That can make you puffed up. That can make you prideful. And he contrasts that directly with the idea that pride puffs up. Thinking you know everything can puff you up, but love builds up. Right? So, so pride makes me feel more important, where love for other people makes them seem more important to me. And it's a direct contrast. Last week in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, he said, love is not arrogant. But the word for arrogant is the exact same word he uses right here. So he's saying that knowledge makes you arrogant or puffed up. Love makes sure that you are not arrogant or not puffed up. So point one, this is kind of the underlying premise for today's sermon. Love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important than knowledge. This is what Paul's laying. This is the premise to his answer. So the rest of the sermon, here's all we're going to see. We're going to see Paul's clear answer. He lays down this premise. Now he's going to give them a clear answer about whether or not they should eat this meat. And then I'm also going to show you how that applies to our lives. So look with me in verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on, or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, those are in lowercase if you're not looking along. Verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So what is Paul here? Paul seems to be agreeing with them, right? Yes, I agree with you, idols aren't real. Right? He says, quote, unquote, there are many lowercase g gods, there are many lowercase g lords. There are lots of idols, there are lots of things that people live for, there are a lot of things that people worship outside of God. But as far as actual gods, actual deities, there is only one. So the, the answer seems to really be leaning towards what they want it to be, right? The answer seems to be, well, if idols aren't real, then why would it matter if the meat's been sacrificed to them or not? It, it doesn't really make any difference. The idols aren't real. The meat hasn't been tainted in some way. It's not messed up in some way. So it seems that the answer is going to be, yes, absolutely. Since we know that idols aren't real, you can eat the meat. And they've been very excited about that, I believe. But then Paul turns this whole argument on its head with one verse. 
verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So what's Paul saying here? What, what does he really get? Here's what he's telling them. Yes, you and I agree that idols aren't real, that these fake gods, that these statues, that these temples built to no-name people, that these aren't real. And so whether meat is sacrificed to them or not, it's not going to hurt you. If you ate that meat, it wouldn't hurt you in any way. God wouldn't reject you. It wouldn't hurt you as a Christian. It wouldn't hurt your standing in the church. Yes, you if you lived in a vacuum where it was just you and your interactions and your decisions didn't affect anybody else, it would not matter if you ate meat offered to idols. He says, but this is what you have to remember. We don't live in a vacuum. And, and hear me on this, brothers and sisters. None of the Corinthians... And none of us ever make a decision that impacts only ourselves. Every decision that you make impacts somebody else. Whether you know it or not, it affects the lives of other people around you. And so Paul says, yes, I know that you could eat the meat. And I know that it wouldn't bother you in any ways. But what you need to realize is that there are people around you that it could definitely hurt in a real way. There are people in your midst in the church at Corinth, there were people that used to worship these idols. That maybe their family was different than your family. And whenever they grew up, they were told that Zeus or all these other gods was real. And so their heart, even though they know in their head that these idols aren't real, sometimes their heart probably still pulls them back to want to worship these fake gods or want to sacrifice to the rain god whenever rain's not coming or to want to to want to sacrifice to this god of fertility whenever they're not having children because even though they know it's not real in their head their heart has done that for so many years that they're drawn back into that old practice into that old sin it's just calling them back Gordon Fee in his commentary on 1 Corinthians I think does a really good job of helping us see this. I want to read this quote for you. He says, They may tell their heads all they want that the God is only an idol and that an idol has no genuine reality. The fact is their former way of life is woven into their consciousness and emotions in such a way that their old associations cannot, thus lightly, cannot be thus lightly disregarded. Here's point two this morning. Not everyone has the same life experiences. Not everybody's had the same life experiences. Right? We have to remember that, brothers and sisters. The things that affect you or don't affect you don't affect or impact other people the same way. Just because something's not a big deal for you does not mean that it's not a big deal for somebody around you. Just because something isn't very tempting, just because some sin isn't a big deal or a big draw for you, it doesn't mean that it's not a big draw and a big temptation for a brother or sister around you. And Paul here is saying, when we're deciding if we're going to do things, for them it was eating meat sacrificed to idols. When you're deciding if you're going to do that or not, don't think just about yourself. He said, that's pride. He said, but think about others. That's love. 
And so then he goes on and gives them the answer. If he hasn't made the answer clear yet, he makes the answer clear. Look in verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Point three, last point. Our right can cause others to stumble. This is the point that Paul was getting at here. He's saying, listen, it's not a problem for you. You could walk in that idol's temple and you could order up some of the meat and you could leave there and never think a second thought about that idol. He said, but I want you to think about the other people in the church there at Corinth. The ones who were raised going to that temple week in and week out and worshiping those false gods like they were real. And if they see you walking in that temple, you know what that's going to do? That's going to tempt them to go in that temple. And when they go in that temple, it's not going to be just to buy food and walk out. It's going to be to worship a false god. He says, what you could do, you're right. It is your right to be able to go in there. He says, but your right could cause somebody else to stumble. So we need to be careful. We need to be cautious about the things that we're doing. Jesus addresses the same idea in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 is a, a chapter that also Jesus spends a lot of time talking about how we interact with one another. And in that chapter, whenever they're asking which one of them is the greatest, Jesus calls a child over to him, and as he has that child there in front of him, he calls them to humble themselves, and then he says this in Matthew 18, 5 and 6. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. If you didn't get it from Paul's teaching, I hope you get it here from Jesus, we cannot take how our decisions impact other people lightly. We can't say, oh well, right? That's what our society tells. Our society tells us, you do what's right for you, and if it hurts somebody else, that's their fault. You, if it's your right to do something, you do it, and you don't ever think about anybody else. You do you. But Jesus says something completely different. He says, you care about those around you as well. Recognize that there are people around you that, that don't know all the things that you do and that have walked different miles in different shoes than you have and think about them and care about them enough to even be willing to sacrifice things that are your right so that you could keep them from sinning. So what's this look like for us, right? Again, we don't, nobody around here is sacrificing meat to idols that I know of. So what, is this, what does this look like? Well, here, I just want to give you two very specific examples of this from my life. And I pray that these will be useful to you, that the Lord will help use these practical examples 
two ways that I've worked through this. One, so my family has a, a strong and long history of heart disease. Grandparents, my dad, my brother was on blood pressure medication before he was 30. Uh, and so my dad's cardiologist recommended him years ago. He said, you need to start drinking a glass of red wine every day. It'll be good for your health. It'll be good for your heart. You need to do this. So, of course, my dad passes that along to us. This is something that you need to be doing, sons. And so it's a decision that I had to work with because, for me, it's not a big deal. I don't like the taste of wine. I don't like the thought of drinking alcohol. This isn't something that's cool to me. This isn't something that tastes good to me. This would be very similar to taking medicine, right? It's not a big deal for me, but... I know that every church that I've ever been a part of and in every city that I've ever lived that there were people that had struggled because for a long time in their life they'd been alcoholics. And what if that alcoholic who was struggling every day not to pick up a beer and drink it saw the preacher, saw Brother Zach walking into the liquor store or came over to my house for a meal and I opened the refrigerator and he sees a bottle of wine in there, and all of a sudden thinks, you know what, maybe it's okay. I could drink just one too. And he drinks more than one. And ends up sinning because, not because of me, but I sure didn't help in the situation, did I? So I said, you know what, I will make the decision now. I will never own, buy, or drink alcohol because I care about my brothers too much. I'll exercise more, I'll eat different, but I won't do that. There's got to be a different way. There's something that's new for a lot of you, a decision that you've been making over the last year or two years or so that I've had to deal with for a long time. Now, the lottery, right? The lottery is pretty new to Mississippi. Some of you may be making the decision, should I buy lottery tickets, should I not buy lottery tickets? Well, the the whole idea of, of wagering or gambling isn't new for me. I grew up in Philadelphia. Right, So this is something that back when I was a teenager at church and at the house around the dinner table, we had these discussions. Because you know all of a sudden where the best restaurants in Philadelphia were? They're at the casinos. That's what I hear. And so we have to make the decision. Are we going to go eat at this restaurant? Are we going to stick at Blumo Junction? Which I happen to really like if you ever go to Philadelphia. In the same way, I could walk in the casino. My dad, my mom, nobody in our family had ever dealt with an addiction to gambling. Had no desire to gamble. We could walk through and would walk right around the slot machines and never had a desire to go put any money in there. Could have done like some people I know. For a night of entertainment, I'm going to take $50, no more. I'm going to go and I'm going to play. And whenever I leave there, I'll never think another thing about it. Could do that. It's not something that had a draw for me, but I had brothers and sisters that it did draw greatly. They were addicts to gambling. They'd use the paycheck that they needed to use to buy food for their family. They'd go burn it at the casino. So you know what we said? We're not going to eat there. We're not going to be entertained there. We're not going to be seen going in there. Why? Because it was hard for us? No, but because we had brothers and sisters that we loved too much that they might see us going in there and say, well, we go to church with them, and if they're going in there, then maybe it's not a big deal. And they go in and spend more money than they were supposed to, and their kids didn't have food to eat, 
and they sin. And again, it's not our fault that they sin, but man, we sure didn't help, did we? I think that's what Paul's saying here, brothers and sisters. He's saying it can't all be about you. God has not given us this life to live in isolation. He's given us one another. I'm so thankful for that. We've seen this pattern over and over in 1 Corinthians. He says, you make sure that you're not sinning, but you also make sure that your brothers and sisters aren't sinning. You come and celebrate the Lord's death in your place, but you come and celebrate it together. We've seen over and over that He has given us one another as gifts. I've given you spiritual gifts, but it's not just for you. It's for you to use to build up one another. And again here He says, I've given you love so that even though things may not bother you, you could think about your brothers and sisters and make decisions about what impacts them. And so I think we should. I think the scripture is clear that we need to consider other people when we're deciding what sort of habits we're going to have, what sort of jokes we're going to tell, what sort of things we're going to share on social media. I'm not telling you that you can't do these things. I'm giving you some very clear things that I've worked through in my life and the decisions that I've come to. Paul does the same thing in verse 13. For him... They ask, can we eat meat? He says, I'll tell you the conclusion I've come to. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So brothers and sisters, I pray that this is something that you'll work on. That you'll work on considering other people whenever deciding if you are or are not going to do things, if you are or are not going to tell that joke, if you are or are not going to share that thing in Sunday school, if you are or are not going to post that on social media. Don't just think about yourself. What's your right? Think about others and how it may impact them. Think about your brothers and sisters. Think about Christ saying, anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin... It would be better that he had something about the size of a boulder tied around his neck and thrown into the depth of the sea. Christ takes us causing one another to sin seriously, and I pray that we do as well. Last thing that I'll say here, is I'll give you the most perfect example. I gave you two examples, me dealing with alcohol, me dealing with gambling or the casinos, but I'll give you the, the best example I've ever heard of somebody working through this. And his name is Jesus. And he's there in heaven, and everything's good. There's no sin. It's glorious. There's worship of him as God all the time. And the decision needs to be made, is Jesus going to leave heaven and come to earth to live a perfect life and to die for us? Now, Jesus could have said, no. I've never sinned before. I'm not going to take the wrath of God. I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm thinking about me. I don't deserve God's wrath. And that's true. Absolutely true. Why would I leave here, this perfect place that I deserve to be, and go there to that sinful world for somebody else? I don't deserve to have to do that. It had been absolutely right. His divine right could have been to just stay in heaven. And to let us deal with it on our own. And it wouldn't have turned out well for any of us. We'd all be headed to hell. But instead, this is what Jesus said. Paul describes it for us in, in Philippians chapter 2. 
says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not because it's what he deserved, but because he loved us. Brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to follow my example. I'm asking you to follow Jesus' example of putting others before ourselves. I'll say this because I have been this person sitting in seats like this before. I've been the one that that heard a sermon like this and immediately what I was doing was formulating an argument for why I should still be able to do this or should still be able to do that. I was trying to, to work out some way that it would be okay for me to continue to do this thing when what I really knew is that the Holy Spirit was convicting me that I shouldn't. Brothers and sisters, if you're sitting there listening to this sermon, formulating an argument for why it doesn't apply to you, I think you're one of the ones that Paul's talking to, most of all. Love is more important than knowledge. I pray that our lives show that as much as the Scriptures tell us that. This morning, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of response. Maybe you're here today, and this is the first time that you're hearing about this love, this love of Christ that's so deep and so amazing that it compelled Him to leave heaven and come to earth to die for sinful people so that whenever we had faith in Him, that as we celebrated with Dane earlier, we would be brand new creations. The old us, the sinful us, dead, brand new creations in Christ. That's been, that's been made available through Christ. If you would come today and respond in faith to Him, He has already died the death to take the penalty for your sins. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Come and let me talk to you. Let me pray with you. Maybe you're here today and this is not something that you've ever thought about or something that you've thought about but pushed to the side because you wanted to stick to your rights more than you wanted to let other people around you dictate your decisions. I pray today that you would repent, that you would ask the Lord to help you to be more mindful and more aware of the struggles of your brothers and sisters, to love them and care for them and to show it in your decisions and your actions. But whatever you need to do, however the Lord's calling you to respond this morning, I'm going to invite you to do that. Where you are or down here, down front, as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. Jesus.
Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you. If you would be seated for just a moment. Um. I have a couple of announcements I want to make sure that you don't miss before we go. Uh, this morning, I do need the church council, church council members, I think you know you are. We had a meeting Wednesday night. If you're on the church council, if you could stick around for just a moment after the service this morning. We have something that shouldn't take long, but something that we need to discuss. I know that a lot of you are aware um, of other churches in the area that have made.